0: Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the JPS Podcast, and I have a very special guest with me all the way from the US of A, Mr. Jordan Syatt. Did I pronounce that right, Jordan? That
1: was perfect, man. You did a great job. Thank you for having me, man.
0: (laughs) Not a problem. And Jordan is an online coach, personal trainer, as well as a five-time world record powerlifter, and he's a precision nutrition and Westside Barbell certified coach. And along with this, he's Gary Vaynerchuk's, the Gary V's personal trainer. So the man knows what's up. And he's also been featured in a number of online sources and has a very, very straight up, no bullshit approach to training and nutrition, which I love. So very fortunate to have Jordan on the show today. So thank you, Jordan, for your time.
1: Dude, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: Not a problem. So... Talk to me, Jordan. How did you fall into the fitness industry? Everybody has their story. What what's yours?
1: Yeah, so basically I, I grew up as a wrestler. Um from yeah. the time I was eight I was wrestling and, and that like I, I loved it. I was obsessed with it. Um and so I ended up making varsity as a freshman and I had to cut a lot of weight. So I cut from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week for competition. And basically what happened was I really wanted to figure out how can I cut weight and stay strong and be athletic and so I started to really dive into strength training and I fell in love with kettlebells at a very young age so I ended up getting my first personal training job at 14 at a kettlebell gym about yeah it was insane so it was was ridiculous but it was amazing um that was my first personal training job and I like fell in love with it and I coached people from 14 all the way until I graduated high school and um and then I basically I transitioned from from wrestling to to powerlifting. So actually, I moved to Israel for a year between high school and college, just traveled and, and lifted and trained, came back, went to college, um, and was really, really deep into competitive powerlifting. I trained at Westside Barbell for three to four months, um, and then I went and trained at Cressy Sports Performance for about three months, um, and then all the while building up my online brand, competing in powerlifting, um, and and really creating my website, And then, and I ended up deadlifting four times my body weight, doing really, really well in powerlifting. And then, and sort of like things just kept steamrolling from there until, uh, when I graduated college, I just had my own online business that was fortunately self-sufficient. So I ended up moving back to Israel. Um, and I just was hanging out there until I I ended up getting really lucky enough to get this job with Gary Vaynerchuk. and, And now I moved to New York and I coach him and do that. And that's the whole story.
0: That's awesome, man. That's a really, really cool story. So tell me more about how you obtained Gary V as a client. What's the story behind that?
1: So it's a a crazy story and it's wicked long, but the the shorter version is um, I created my website when I was 19 and I was writing articles from when I was 19 years old. And um, Gary's first coach or the coach before me, Mike Vacanti, was following my website from before he ever became Gary's coach. So he had been following my work. He had there are there are comments from Mike on my website from 2011. So basically like when Mike was done with Gary, I ended up like Mike and I had been in contact before and so Mike was like, "Hey, we're looking for applicants." And uh my advantage there was that Mike knew me and we had been in contact and they needed mm-hmm. someone that Mike knew because it's a personal job. Like you're with Gary every day, you're around his family. Like they can't just take a random person. So basically I said, I like, I'll do it. Uh, Or like I I threw in my, my name for the application. Uh, And then Mike called me when I was living in Tel Aviv and he was like, are you still interested? And I said, yeah, for sure, man. So I, he was like, cool. So you got to fly to New York and coach Gary for an hour. So I packed my bags from Tel Aviv, flew to New York for an hour, coach Gary flew back to Tel Aviv. Didn't tell any, didn't (laughs) tell anybody. Um, And then um, I like about six weeks later, I got a call from Mike at like one in the morning and he was like, dude, you got the job. So like within that week I moved from Tel Aviv. I I still had an apartment in Boston. So I got rid of my apartment in Boston, moved to New York. And a week later I was coaching Gary.
0: That's crazy, man. So talk to me a little bit about that. What were Gary's goals when he sought you out as a trainer, what did he want to achieve? And has he got closer to achieving those goals since working with you?
1: Yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, When I first started working with Gary, the main thing that I had really been told both by him and Mike was more the aesthetic portion of it. Like what he wanted to do aesthetically in terms of he wanted to build a bigger chest. He wanted to get leaner, Um, just like get more jacked basically, but over time through working with him, what I ended up sort of pulling out of him was that he really wanted to get out of pain. Uh, he had some really serious hip pain, some really serious shoulder issues. Um, he had some neck issues that were actually causing the shoulder issues. Um, and so it's almost been a full year now, like within a month, it'll be a full year and, uh, he's ecstatic. He's like yeah. stoked. He's like he's feeling really good. He has he has way more muscle. He has like he looks fantastic. But he we were literally just talking about it this morning. He's like, dude, fuck how I look, man. I feel incredible. And and one thing about Gary that like it's funny, because you don't think about this stuff, but Gary explicitly asks his like his when his assistants are booking his flight to make sure that he sits on the left side of the plane because he has better neck mobility and he can sort of like lean his head up against the left side of the plane. And we're on planes constantly. Like sometimes we'll be on two or three fights in a day and he can't do it to the right. And now he's like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like I can do that now and it doesn't feel weird. And like I can, it's like just a lot of these things that you wouldn't Mm. even think about. He has a better better quality of life and he's just so, so, so excited. So yeah, it's great, man.
0: That's awesome. So let's, let's elaborate on that because I think shifting the focus from aesthetics to health is something that a lot of people don't appreciate until they start to realise, you know, the, the negative, you know, outcomes that are associated with being in pain and not being able to move properly. So how did you shift Gary's focus to, you know, wanting more, you know, mobility, flexibility, being able to train pain-free and, you know, put the aesthetic goals on the back burner and what changes then occurred in his training?
1: So... What I think the really important thing to understand is like, I never made him change his mind. It was more like, my approach is very much just all encompassing. So like, I've, I never have had an ego with like, one right way to train. I've never had an ego with like, either kettlebells or powerlifting Mm or bodybuilding, or yoga, like my training sessions, they include yoga, my training sessions include bodybuilding stuff, they include powerlifting stuff, they include kettlebell stuff, they include bodyweight stuff, they include everything. And I especially more so at the beginning, because that's my way of sort of figuring out what that person enjoys, what they like doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So when I was first starting with Gary, I had no idea what he liked. I didn't know if he liked doing really quick circuits. I didn't know if he preferred to do strength stuff. I didn't know because for me, if they're not having fun with it, They're not going to be consistent. They're going to dread it. They're going to try and find excuses to skip it. So for me, the first, a lot of people are so focused on assessments from how people move, but they, in my opinion, they don't focus on assessments from what are people actually enjoying? What do they love to do? Um, So a lot of my assessment is just like, what do you like? And so basically it was really interesting. What I really found out in the very beginning was Gary loved my warm ups. He, like, really – and it's so funny because in a million years, I never would have guessed that. But he loved the mobility exercises. Mm-hmm. He loved, like, being like, oh, my God, like, this really opened up my hips. Like, oh, my God, like, I, like, yeah. haven't really felt, like, that rotation in my upper back before. Like, I've never – literally, he, he'll do this. All, every day we walk in and he'll be like, dude, do you see how much range I have in my neck now? Like, it, he, like, never he, – he loves that. And so what I realized was if we spent – just a little bit more time on movement quality, whether it was through yoga movements, through from self-myofascial release, then we had a little bit less time from the actual strength training perspective. But the quality was better in the strength training because he had actually enjoyed up to that point. So I didn't necessarily change his goals. It was more just like I found what his goals actually were. And instead of me being like, we have to do bodybuilding because – you need bigger muscles or we have to do this. It was more just like, let's see what you enjoy. And then like it sort of came out. And what happens is that'll change. I guarantee in a year, it'll be different. Something will be changed. He'll have a different goal. He'll prefer doing something else. Um, And you just sort of have to roll with that punch. But like that's that's sort of how things progress.
0: Hmm. It's a great point. Balancing the client's wants versus what they need is a very intricate balancing act as a coach. And I think it speaks volume of, you know, a client-centered approach when you can do that. So it's interesting to see how you did that with Gary, someone who came for aesthetic-related goals and then now is training more for function and, you know, health, so to speak. And something I wanted to ask you about, Jordan, was Gary's obviously an extremely busy man and we know that he loves wine. So how does... A coach, how do you then manage and prioritize the things he needs to achieve his health and fitness-related goals in amongst his busy schedule, socializing, and, you know, very, I guess, unstructured, you know, regimen?
1: So it's it's really funny. Like, m- Gary's previous coach, Mike, did a phenomenal job of really hammering the nutrition home to the point where when I came on, like, Gary understood what has protein he understood like what's higher calorie he understood he understood that stuff now it's what's what i find with gary and what i find with a lot of people who are very very busy and run businesses is they can literally go the entire day without eating and it doesn't bother them because like they're just they're they're so busy they're so focused like they don't even think about it so um, in the beginning, I would bring Gary like his lunch and make him eat lunch. But I realized like a lot of times he wouldn't eat it. A lot of the times like it would he would like – I would put it in front of him and he'd have to change rooms or change venues and like just wouldn't come with him. So we do a lot of intermittent fasting with Gary. And because of that, he has a lot more leeway with his, nutri- with his like one major meal. Um, he has like one or two major meals a day and because of that, it allows him to – be a little bit more have more leeway with that one meal cuz he has he has a lot of room sure. um so cuz also like he he's not sitting still i don't know if you ever watched him talk but he's like <laughs> the guy who will fidget constantly That's he's the guy who will be activity. yeah exactly he's like biting his nails he's fidgeting his knees or whatever he's like standing up walking around he's <laughs> running to the airport like that guy burns so many calories in a day just from living it's insane yeah. um so basically I, I, I keep track of him. Like if he's going to a restaurant, I would tell him what I want him to order. In terms of like you can have this food and whatever. Um, I'll tell him like if you want if you can have if you want a glass of wine, you can have one glass of wine. But he's also he'll do whatever I say. So if I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, you're not drinking tonight, he'll, he won't drink. Um, and if he does, then he'll come in like the up the next morning and be like, <laughs> man, I'm sorry. Like I had a I had an extra drink and like he'll apologize about it. Um, because yeah. he like feels genuinely bad. Yeah. But like um he'll usually do whatever I tell him to do. And, um, he's at a point where I think just the way that it worked out with this, the order of, of Mike and then me where Mike really hammered home nutrition. Like he like was very, very strict with that. He really got Gary focused on that. And I'm much more like on the training side of things that I, I, I want, like, I'm okay with him eating a little bit too much if that means adding more muscle. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm just a huge believer in, Especially as you get older, you, the more muscle you have, the more you're gonna win. And I don't want to keep him in a deficit year round. I think that's one of the major issues with coaches—they keep keep people in yeah. deficit all year long. So, like honestly, I don't. At this point, I would much rather Gary spend two years in a slight surplus, like mm-hmm. slowly building muscle, not having a six pack, maintaining like 15 to 18 percent body fat than like trying to keep him under twelve percent and like letting that cloud his brain and like focusing so much on nutrition, it's running his business. He's not trying to step on a stage. He's trying to feel good. And like most people feel really good around like that fifteen percent range. Um and that fuels the workouts. It makes him feel good. And as long as the biggest thing is as long as he can go to work and crush it, then mm-hmm. my job is done. Like I just don't want him to be unhealthy.
0: A lot of really, really good points brought up then Jordan and i wanted to elaborate on some other strategies that you use for you know really busy individuals uh in terms of their nutrition so intermittent fasting being one can you explain um how specifically you work that for gary and then some other strategies that you incorporate into his nutrition uh to allow him to achieve that you know 15% uh body fat
1: so like with with Gary, the major thing, what, like I went through a lot of like trying to learning phases about what's going to work best for him. And the, the really difficult part to understand about Gary, I don't think anyone really gets this until you actually see it. His schedule is packed from li- literally like from the moment we start working out until midnight, like every second, including taking an, an Uber, including like meals, including showering, including meetings, including travel to meetings, everything. So and, and it will change every day. So there's really not one set schedule where it's like, OK, Gary's always going to eat lunch at noon or Gary will always eat lunch at this time because that's going to change whether we're on a flight, whether we're like whether we're in a hotel, whether he has a meeting, an unexpected meeting, travel, whatever. So the, the most the biggest thing for me was that I ended up learning and it took me about six months to really like hammer it home and have a talk with him about it was. You're basically like he was like, dude, I can literally go all day, not eat, and not worry about it. Like, he's it is easier for me mm. not to think about eating all day. It's like, it's just easier for me. So, basically, I was like, cool, done. Like, you're not going to eat during the day. Um, and then we're just going to have one big meal at night. And then when things slow down, whether it's on the weekends or like over the summer or something, and like things aren't as crazy. Then we can eat a little bit more frequently because he'll be in the house more or whatever. But when when it's like work time, I was like, dude, you're going to eat one meal a day and that's it. And we're going to focus on this and this and this. And he crushes it and he does exactly what I say. Um, And then and what was the other question that you asked?
0: So any other nutritional strategies that you employ or focus points in his diet? obviously with that one meal, do you just let him eat whatever? Is it a calorie focus? Is there protein focus? What are the you know focus points for his diet?
1: The major thing, so he, I don't have him count calories. Like I do the counting for him. Yeah. So basically like, for example, tonight I wanted him to have a light dinner. Uh, and we had a little back and forth about it because uh, he had a pretty big workout today, but I wanted him to keep it lighter today because I'm, we're trying to like just lose a little bit of, a little bit of fat and like, cause got a lip a little bit higher than we wanted to. We got up to about like 172 and like we wanted him to maintain between like 164 to 166. So we're cutting him back to, and he was 167 today. So we'll lose a little bit. Basically we're keeping him a little bit lighter for right now. And I was like, literally uh, I was like, I want you to have oysters. I want you to have this green salad. Um, I want you like, if you want to have a glass of wine, you can, if you want to have like some, some of the bread on the table, you can, but also really important is he has two dinners tonight. They're nice where he has two or three dinners he has like a birthday dinner and then he has a work dinner and then he has another event. So I'm like, this is your main dinner. And so that would, that dinner would probably net him around like anywhere between 800 to a thousand calories. And so I was like, this gives you leeway for when you go to the birthday dinner night, because you'll also have like, you can have like X number of plates of sushi and like that, like gives him another, whatever. So it's more just like either have a palm size full of this or have this amount of this. And I do the thinking for him mm-hmm. in my mind, it's about calories and protein. That's, like, number one. As long as, like, his calories and protein are good, he's fine.
0: Awesome. Yeah, some really good points there again. It's all about picking your moments when you're somebody who's extremely busy and not giving in to, you know, eating whatever you feel like at every single occasion because chances are you'll blow your calorie budget. And in terms of Gary's training, so you mentioned that every minute of his day is mapped out. And obviously changing, you know, uh, cities and states, from you know day to day, week to week would make having a structured training plan more difficult to implement. How does his training look in terms of you know a program? Do you follow a program? Um, do you have certain exercises that you perform regularly? Or is it just a matter of making things work within, you know, the constraints of what's available to you at the time?
1: So it's always number one is making it work with whatever you have available. And that could mean like sometimes we'll be in a hotel and their gym, their gym doesn't exist um, sometimes, and, and so we have to like, well, yeah, literally, like we've done push up challenges in this hotel room before. <laughs> uh, we so we work out seven days a week. So yeah. the cool part about that is I get a lot of a lot of room to play in terms of if there are three days in a row where we're not going to have a gym, I'm not worried because I know we're going to work out the next four days anyway. So what that means is instead of necessarily being like, hey, like, will this workout is Bosch? I can be like, we're only going to do self-myofascial release today. And like, I'm totally cool with that Um, because it's different when you have someone who you only see once or twice a week and that's it. like, I literally get to see him every day. So um, the, I have a general program and depending on the phase, whether it's like, if we're trying to build muscle, I'm going to make sure we get like four really solid strength training workouts in that are usually an upper lower body split. Um, If we're cutting, it's usually three really solid workouts. That goes upper body, lower body, full body, Um, and like they don't have to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They can, as long as they just get those three workouts within the week, I'm good. And then the other four days, or other three days, or whatever, can be basically whether we're doing yoga, whether we're doing self-myofascial release, whether we're doing like accessory accessory work for his like body parts, whatever. You can fill it in as I see fit. Um, I do have a general program, but we also very rarely work out in the same gym two days in a row. So it's like it's also dependent on what equipment they have and and the time constraint that he has. So there, there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of factors and yeah, it's really it, – it basically boils down to being able to do anything on the fly at any time based on how he feels, based on yeah. the gym, based on the time constraint. There's a million things.
0: I think that's extremely important for people to understand is that sometimes you just have to do what you can and, you know, make – you know, little progress in some periods of your training, you know, when you are dealing with a really busy schedule and just do the best with what you have available. And something I wanted to talk to you about, Jordan, was, you know, based on your Instagram accounts, it seems like there's a lot of variation in your training. Is this purely a function of you traveling with Gary Or is it a wise practice to keep things interesting and fresh in the gym so that you can continue to have fun and, you know, stay fit within, you know, your current goals?
1: Yeah. So for me, when I was competitive powerlifting, my training was really boring, like Mm -hmm. very boring because that's what worked. Like that's like what helped me get a four times bodyweight deadlift. Like I didn't have to do anything crazy. It was just like, this is what works. After I hit my, like my goal with a four times and like after I stopped competing, it became more important for me to like want to be in the gym. And I think like a lot of people, they just assume personal trainers are like, they just always want to be in the gym and they always love working out. And it's like, after a while it's like, it can be, if you coach people all day and all you talk about is fitness, sometimes the last thing you want to do is get your own workout in. So for me, having something that like, that like keeps me excited and fun. And like, for like one of the things that I love doing is like gymnastics type stuff I like doing like I like challenging myself. I like seeing like if I can do do random weird shit. Like even if there's not necessarily <laughs> like 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 a like a definitive like this is going to help you build explosive power in the sagittal plane. Like I don't care. Like as long as it gets me in the gym and I'm having fun and I'm moving and getting better, then that's most important to me.
0: Definitely. And how do you balance then the Enjoyment component of training with the you know principles of exercise such as you know specificity, progressive overload um you know recovery, and all those things, how do you balance that?
1: It's honestly, it's so simple, man. It's like for example, I like really like doing gymnastic stuff, so I like doing handstands, so I know. Like, if I'm going to do, like, I know for a fact, like, I'm a huge single leg training guy. Like, I, I think single leg training is so important, so helpful. I think, like, for a lot of people, like, they, their hips get hurt from, from doing bilateral squats. Their back gets mm-hmm. hurt. It's just so much better, I think, to do more single leg stuff. So I will very regularly do, like, I'm like, listen, I have to do lunges or I have to do Bulgarian split squats or I have to do single leg RDLs. And then in my rest period, they'll do handstands. Yeah. And you know, it's like for no other reason, just because it's fucking fun. Like that's it. And it's like <laughs> in my in my rest periods, like I'll do I'll do I don't know, muscle ups. Not because like I'm training muscle ups, just because like I think it's fun. So it's mm-hmm. like this is like you sort of go back and forth. And it, it essentially works as a superset. And it's not like being like this is the most scientific and like you're working the agonistic mm-hmm. musculature here. It's like, no, it's literally it's like I'm gonna like the main thing that I have to hit is the lunge. And then in the rest period, I can do whatever the fuck I want, whether that means, like, if I feel great that day, I'll do muscle-ups. If I just feel like shit and I don't even want to be there, like, I'll I'll go on Instagram, like, whatever, you know? <laughs> like, you've yeah. got to, like, sort
0: of li- listen to your body and your mind that day. I think that's a fantastic point because I see a lot of people getting too caught up on what is the optimal, you know, training program, and they lose the enjoyment for their training. And Obviously, long-term, their adherence suffers because, you know, Sustaining a yeah. boring and, you know, uneventful training program can be quite tedious. And this brings me to my next question for you, Jordan. Obviously, you've been working with Gary Vee, but you've had a lot of experience in training other clients. And what are the most common fitness mistakes that you see, you know, people make?
1: So that's a really good question. And I think... One of the major things that I see happening, especially with the people who are very involved in fitness, whether they're personal trainers or, or maybe they're just like really in, like involved fitness enthusiasts, is they they initially get started with training because they love it they start they love the work working out is their their safe space working out is what they love to do working yeah. out is where they can get away from the stress and then all of a sudden there's a switch where like if they don't hit a deadlift personal record that- that day, they're like everything everything is like death. Everything is terrible. Like they're so mad at themselves. Like they're pissed. They're like, like the entire day is ruined. And then like, if their strength isn't going the way they want it to go, like everything about them is just like the gym sucks. Life sucks. Everything sucks. (laughs) And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like you're, you got into this because you loved it because like it was made you feel good. Like you logically know you're not going to increase your deadlift every time you go to the gym. Like, you know that if you raise your deadlift, 10 pounds a week every week. Like that's like 10 times 52. Like that's going to be a shit ton of like, that's not going to happen. They just know that logically. So I think the biggest mistake that people really, really, really make is they take themselves way too seriously. Like, this is this is working out like this is not like you're serving in, in like the air force and like you're act, like you're risking your life. This is not like you're like making like a, a world difference. You're going to the gym to be healthier, relax, have fun. Like stop taking yourself so seriously and enjoy it. I think that's like people get way too caught and I think a lot of it has to do with social media. Like people see like Doing outrageous things, like incredible things on social media, and they they start comparing themselves to other people. Mm. It's just this massive trap. It's like just focus on yourself, focus on you, enjoy it. Like let all the other stuff sort of let that happen. And if you want to watch it, great, but don't let it impact you.
0: I definitely agree. I I I guess I'm guilty of this. I'm sure you've been guilty of this in the past as well because you know, we can often only speak of our experience and then help others, you know, not fall into the same trap as what we did. And moving into some of the finer mistakes, you know, I guess, of nutrition and training, what do you see uh, to be areas where fitness folk really screw up in their, you know, diet and training?
1: Let's see. In their diet, I think... um, Here's the thing. In terms of diet, like there are two, I think there are two major forms of dieters. Number one are the dieters who thrive on counting calories and macros. Um, And if, if you're a dieter who thrives on that, all you need to focus on are calories and protein. As long as you hit your calories and protein, you're good. You don't need to worry about like hitting like every carb or every fat or like, like really like just hit your calories, hit your protein. That's number one. The, the other group of people are the people who, don't do well with that and they do much better with more behavior-based things so like for them i say like focusing on like three meals a day two snacks the meals have to be like with fit on one plate whatever um the people really and like that's it those are literally the guidelines like Mm. that's how simple they are people really mess up when they start being like they start looking for the quick fix Mm -hmm. they start looking for like the whether it's the supplement that's gonna like help them lose fat really quickly, or the workout program that's gonna like change their life, or the exercise sequence, or the 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 magic food, like like there, or even something like where people are like, fruit's gonna make you fat, right? People are looking for these like little tricks or, or yeah. like marvels or the unicorn hairs, whatever it is that are going to like change the game. And yeah. when you are looking for the one thing that's when you you miss everything when you're looking for the one thing that's going to make the difference there isn't there's not one thing that's going to make the difference the reality is your your calories and your protein are most important and if you hit that the rest is just going to fall into place uh so that's that's nutrition and then training is um it's the same thing man like my clients train either three or four times a week that's it like and except for dairy but even him strength training is three or four times a week um we have like a main movement, whether it's a squat or a deadlift or a bench press or a chin up, then you have like two to three supersets after that and you're done and you're out of the gym and that's it. And like people like really fall into a trap when they start looking for the fancy exercises, whether it's like standing on a BOSU ball on one leg, throwing a tennis ball at the wall, doing jump (laughs) ropes or, or like they're looking for like the, the, the crazy kettlebell complex or they're looking for whatever it is. Like they're, they're trying to like look for the thing that looks cooler or the thing that It has this illusion of complexity where, like, it it looks like it's so fancy that it must work where it's like the best coaches in the world focus on push-ups and pull-ups and and bench press and chin-ups and, like, that's it. Like, they just focus on the basics because that's what works.
0: For sure. I I definitely agree that a lot of people miss the forest for the trees. They focus on the minutia of nutrition and training. And forget the big picture stuff, that's really what matters, you know, the big rocks, the principles of diet and training. And based, based on this discussion, we can obviously, you know, allude to, you know, how important psychology is for, you know, fitness success, you know, and how much that plays a role in somebody's ability to follow their training plan and follow their diet and not jump from, you know, program to program and so forth. So were there any issues with Gary from a psychological standpoint that you needed to address in terms of behavior change to, you know, improve adherence to the plan?
1: In terms of adherence to the plan, I can tell Gary, like literally, it was the hardest part for me transitioning a job was telling Gary what to do because I had followed Gary for a long time. And like, it was literally starstruck, like being like, okay, like, welcome and like I remember walking in the first day being like oh my god like like do you want to do this like it was really it was very challenging for me because I was like I don't want to step on his foot or say something wrong and Mm -hmm. um basically he was very clear he was like listen you are the CEO of my body you are the boss of of my body you tell me what to do and I do it um and and he stuck with it man like it's it's not a lie like whatever I tell him to do he does it and he made it even clear like listen this is what Mike had me do but Mike is gone. You're my coach now. Like, now you tell me what to do. And, you, like, I've never had an, adher- an adherence problem with him. He's always been, like, he'll ask questions sometimes. I'll be like, why does this happen? Or, like, why am I feeling this? Or, like, why do you do this? Um, it actually, it happened today when I said I want you light tonight for dinner. He was, like, light, but, like, we had a really big workout today. And I was like, yeah, but, like, we're trying to get to this marker. And he was like, oh, respect. Totally understand. Um, mm-hmm. And that was that. It was done. Um, so he, adherence wise, he will do anything I say.
0: Awesome. Well, it sounds like Gary's very compliant and makes life easy for you, but what are some of the common adherence issues that you've had to deal with, with other clients?
1: The major issues that you see with like, with other clients are, for example, um, me, ma- like, especially like with nutrition is sticking with your nutrition when it's either the weekend, the so weekend's a big one. Um, and it's something that a lot of people don't even realize. They're not like consciously or maliciously doing it. A lot of times they're like, Hey, I'm like really sticking to the program. I don't know. I'm not seeing progress. And then I'll be like, okay, like walk me through the week and they'll like tell me everything is perfect. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like take pictures of everything you eat during the weekend and send it to me. And then like, and I'm like, literally, I'm like just literally take pictures of everything. Yeah. And yeah. the, inevitably, like after the first day, they're like, holy shit. Like I didn't realize yeah. that I was yeah. having this and having this and having this. So the weekend is a huge one. And basically mm-hmm. that just, that just means making them consciously aware of it. Um, and so it's sort of like taking pictures of everything you eat for the weekend or literally like even just write down everything you put in your mouth, literally everything you put in your mouth. Cause research consistently shows that people who are having trouble losing weight consistently underestimate how much they're actually eating and it's again it's not conscious it's not deliberate it's not malicious you just Mm. you forget the couple handfuls of cashews that you took you forget that you had like the orange juice that had 200 calories you forget that you had whatever it's like you forget that you put the olive oil and you didn't count the olive oil towards your food like so many things that end up adding to over a thousand two thousand calories to your day and like you don't even realize it um so I think that's like a major thing and then um for some people getting to the gym is a really big issue whether it's because they hate going to the gym or just because they're so busy um that's like a major 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 problem and for them uh my major thing is i will i have no problem starting someone off on a one day a week training program mm-hmm. no problem whatsoever i would rather start someone off with a one day a week training program that they hit 100 percent of the time than start them off with a three-day week training program that they hit 50 percent of the time because i would i want them to tell me I want them to get to the point where they crave it and say, I want more, rather than being like, man, I'm just burnt out, I need less. I would rather start with less and build to more than the opposite.
0: For sure. And that's a brilliant point. I think a lot of people uh, set the bar too high and set set themselves up for failure with their fitness goals, aiming to lose, you know, X amount of kilos per week, you know, do 10 training sessions within seven days, yeah. whatever the case may be. And then when they don't do that, they have these feelings of guilt and you know failure, and it's a very vicious cycle from there. And obviously, as coaches, I wanna talk a little bit more about personal training on a broader sense, in a broader sense now. What makes a good personal trainer? What do you think are the qualities a personal trainer needs to have to successfully influence change in their clients?
1: The number one, a personal trainer, has to be a really good listener
0: um
1: that's number one a lot of personal trainers just like to talk 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 and i think like a lot of personal trainers become personal trainers not because they like coaching but because they like working out and they're like oh this will be like, an easy job um and then very quickly they're like holy shit this is not what i thought it was going to be um so in terms of you have to be a good listener because when you really listen to your clients, you will be able to structure your workout in a way that you know works best for that person. Mm. Um, you'll know if that person likes doing this or that, uh, which leads to the next point of being able to, um, not getting like emotionally attached to any one training method. Um, when you only believe kettlebells are the way, or when you only believe powerlifting is the way, or when you only believe, Uh, Olympic lifting or metabolic conditioning when you only believe there's one right way you will limit yourself to only one population of client and you will you will burn that population out very quickly um and you'll also limit yourself on results I think one of the best things a personal trainer can do is be flexible in a variety of different methodologies and understand that there's a million different tools in the toolbox and like they all have a time and a place depending on the client and depending on like what they prefer and and how you can sort of cycle it in there. So I think um, being able to listen, being like flexible and not having an emotional attachment to your training methods. Um, those are the two major things for sure.
0: I really like those points. They're brilliant. And something that's obviously really important you know, for a coach is to build a relationship with the client and build rapport. So how did you do this with Gary, obviously not knowing him prior to being flown out and then all of a sudden like you're his coach and how do you do this with your clients? Like what are some key things that you do to build relationships and rapport with your clients?
1: The major thing is, so for example, I know what a lot of online coaches do is they do everything via email in terms of someone applies and then they send them a document and then the person fills out the document and then they have like check-ins once a week um, and that's it. And like, it's very cookie cutter and like, they're like, yeah, cool. You're going to check in on this app. You're going to give me your numbers. And it's just very surface level data. Um, But if you've ever coached anyone in person, you know, most of the relationship has literally nothing to do with a workout. Most of the relationship is like, what's going on at work? How are your kids? Like what, like what's going on with your husband or your wife? It's like all that stuff is what, how the relationship is built. So when someone applies for my coaching program, the first thing we do is we hop on the phone for an hour. Um, and the, fir- they, the first thing I say is like, number one, where are you calling from? Where do you live? Uh, number two, did you grow up there? And that question always sparks something more, whether they grew up there, whether they like moved or whatever. And then number three is basically to walk me through a day in your life. And like, I don't even want to know fitness. I just want to know what do you do for work? What does your spouse do for work? How old are your kids? What sports do they play? Like, I want to know everything about you outside of fitness um, so that I can get a better understanding of who you are, what your stress is like, Mm -hmm. just get what you value. Do you like hiking? Do you like fishing? Do you like going to the library? Do you like pottery? I don't know. Um, In that way, and and then my clients, we talk every day via email. Like, they'll send me an email every single day. I have no limit to how much they can send me. I have no, um, I, I don't use applications. I think it's really impersonal. I would much rather just talk to them directly. Um, and I constantly ask them questions, like, mm-hmm. "What are you doing today at work?" Like, "How'd you?" Like, I, like, they'll tell me shit, like, like I have a new promotion or like work was really stressful or my fiance is pissing me off or like whatever it is. Like, they're like, I, we'll have a discussion about it. And I think a lot of people, a lot of coaches, they try and look for ways around that. A lot of people mm-hmm. say. Well, dude, I'm getting so many emails, and like they're talking so much in the email. Like, how do I get around it? It's like, you fucking hit reply and you answer. Mm. Like, w- there's no quick fix to this. Like, if you want to build a relationship, you have to put in every relationship, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, mom and dad, um, brother, sister, friendship, client, client coach. There has to you have to put effort into the relationship, and that comes from listening to people talk.
0: I uh, I really like everything that you said there. I think you raised a number of Excellent point and one of the other questions I wanted to ask you was in terms of you know this experience with Gary over the past 11-12 months what are the major lessons that it has taught you about coaching someone because obviously as a coach when you work with people online and when you work with people you know face-to-face for maybe one hour two hours a week it's obviously very different when you get to get the ability to coach somebody seven days a week and be there all the time. So, so what are some, uh, key lessons you've learned in this experience? Because it's one of a kind.
1: It's one of a kind, man. It's like, it's a life and an experience that most people like never see and can't really imagine. Um, and I also think it's worth mentioning that the guy I'm doing it with is literally not like anybody I've ever met in my entire life in terms of like someone else might have the amount of money to do it and they might they might literally do the exact same thing but they might complain more or they might like be like I don't want to do that or they might whatever like they might not be as actually as adherent as Gary is so I literally think I'm working with the single person in the entire world who will do anything I say no matter what and and like it's, it's not even fair because, and he knows it. Like he, he's a, he's an anomaly. He's an anomaly. Like literally like, Mm. he's the outlier that like everyone thinks that they are. Everyone thinks they're an outlier. Everyone thinks like, you know, I mean, I'm unique. I'm a special butterfly. I'm like, (laughs) I like, you know, everyone thinks that. And it's like, nice to think that it's like, no, 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 I'm different. 99% of people know you're not different. Like you are literally the same, um, and occasionally you come across this one person who just has this crazy mental attitude that is just totally different. And that's Gary. Um, and, and so for, I mean, fuck man, like honestly, he, he makes my job easy because he does whatever I say, you know, the most demanding part of my job is like, I coach him insanely early in the morning. Um, we fly and travel constantly. Like we went from New York to Ireland. We were in Ireland for eight hours from Ireland. We went to Brussels. We were in Brussels for like 16 hours, Brussels. We went back to New York and then less than a day later, we flew to LA. It's like the most demanding part of the job is keeping up with him. And like (laughs) the fact that, that like he can even like wake up at five in the morning for a workout after all that travel and like giving four keynotes in a row and like managing his entire business, which has over 700 employees is like, Jesus Christ. Like, that's insane that you can do that. And he has a family and it's like, it's a, he's insane. Like, it's ridiculous. That's
0: phenomenal. And in terms of, as a coach, from a coach's perspective, how have you grown as a coach?
1: Um, I think in, in terms of both as a coach, as well as just in general, as a person, the major thing that I've gotten way better at is, is patience. Um, Patience coupled with empathy I think are the two like major ones that I can sort of like clump together. I think they, they often go hand in hand, um, in terms of, I think, and this is not just with Gary, but over the years is when I was very young, when I was in high school, like I started when I was 14, Mm. I used to get mad if people didn't do what I said. I used to get like really upset, like, like, why aren't you just doing this? Like you came to me for my advice, like, why aren't you doing this? And and over the years, my mindset has sort of transformed into being like, it's okay. Like maybe like now is not the right time or maybe we haven't found your your reason why and we need to dig a little bit deeper. And like or like maybe this isn't the right program and we can switch and try something else. And understanding that not everyone is going to be in the right time frame, in the right place, at the right time, in the right moment, in the right emotional place to actually and elicit a certain change, but that doesn't mean they're a failure. It doesn't mean they're not trying. It doesn't mean there's nothing you can do. It just means that you have to try something else. Um, and that I think has been tremendous for me, not only as a coach, but also just in all facets of life.
0: Mm, for sure. That's, that's something that you can only really start to appreciate with the experience because it's, I've definitely noticed that. I was very similar when I started at 18. I was gung ho. Anyone who didn't follow my plans, well, you know, non-compliant, gone. You know, right. now <laughs> with a family and with kids, I full well understand. I understand full well. You know, the consequences life can have on your fitness goals.
1: For so sure, Jordan, man.
0: Thank you very much for your time today on the JPS Podcast. I'm sure the listeners will have had a ball getting an insight as to your training methods with Gary V. If you have any questions, guys, feel free to comment below, and I'm sure Jordan will get back to him. If you like this video, make sure you click the Like button, subscribe to the channel for plenty more informative podcasts, and we'll speak to you all next time.